Schofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour, Adam Candy. Damon, back in Vegas. Cofield on the road here in Fresno. What's going on, guys? Hey, party's rolling, man. Party's rolling. Trey, we talked to Trey Wingo <laughs> about, uh, about geopolitics. We, we you did? Uh, we, we, we did. We covered, we covered uh, the, the snowflakes at the Phoenix Open and, and how they can't just have a little bit of fun with a golf tournament. We did everything. Okay. I, I was... Uh, I felt very left out in my travels that I didn't get to jump in on Romo and more criticism for Romo in his final call. So we definitely got to hit that in the five o'clock hour. But uh, we're on to Reno now. Uh, I'm hanging out in Fresno. The guys are in Vegas. Finley Toyota Studios for DeMond. Let's get to the big four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. Very interesting, Candy. Uh, a revolutionary hire, barrier-breaking hire. Our Las Vegas A's, really the Oakland A's for now, have made a hire for a new play-by-play voice on TV, and it's the first, right? It is the first time that a woman will be the primary play-by-play announcer for a Major League Baseball franchise. It's Jenny Kavnar, who spent about a dozen years as number two play-by-play and uh, pre- and post-host for the Colorado Rockies, and uh, she will she will replace Glenn Kuyper, who had been the longtime Oakland A's broadcaster before he, uh, he he said a few things that he should not have said on the air last year and was uh, was let go. Hmm. Okay, why is this such a big deal from the uh, barrier breaking standpoint? Well, I think it's obvious in terms of a woman getting to be the lead play by play voice in a sport that has the longest history of segregation in America. Uh, It has been quite the journey to get to even where we are today with baseball. And I think more than that, you look at the A's franchise, and, I mean, we have spent countless hours on these airwaves talking about the missteps of the Oakland A's and (laughs) the bumbling way that they've handled the move to Las Vegas. And, you know, I actually have to give them credit for this. I've got to say that... Moving along from Glenn Kuyper, and let's not undersell what the Kuyper name means in the Bay Area with Dwayne Kuyper on the San Francisco broadcasts, but they doubled down on moving along from someone who had made a racist comment to then hiring the first woman to become a primary play-by-play voice in Major League Baseball history. Representation matters, and actually... Putting your uh, putting your money where your statement is, I think it's good for the A's. Have you met uh, Jenny Kavanaugh in the past? I have not met her in person. I have heard many of her calls. Uh, very nice lady, very professional. I just saw her probably a month ago whenever uh, UNLV was at CSU. And the crazy thing is, Candy, she was doing the Rockies, but right now... Um, there's no job with the Rockies because the Rockies are embroiled in this nonsense with whatever that regional sports network thing was. And the, believe it or not, folks, the Rockies and MLB team, uh, like many others or several others, do not have a TV deal. So for her, it's like, yeah, I want to work. So the A's are a little bit different. I don't live there, but I'm going to take it. I, I wonder what they told her in terms of the future 
moving forward, because here's another update that just came in a couple hours ago. The A's ownership has now re-engaged in Coliseum talks about extending the lease. So what do you think of that? Oh, how history repeats itself, Mr. <laughs> Cofield. Didn't we go through this with the Raiders, too? Oh, my yeah. God, they're going to be nomads. They're going to have to play in San Antonio for a year. They're going to go have to play across the bay for a year. Oh, we're back in negotiations again. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're talking, we're talking lease in Oakland again. Yeah. Did, did you really think that Johnny Fisher was going to let go of the $67 million that the A's are entitled to from TV money by staying in the Bay Area market beyond 2024? Did you really think he was letting that go? Because I didn't. No. And he really has cloudy TV futures uh, on the road, wherever it is, Sacramento, here, or Salt Lake City. Now, I think this is different slightly, actually significantly, than the Raiders because the city of Oakland has a lot of leverage this time. A lot of leverage this time. And... They also have an interest in staying in Major League Baseball. I, I think the belief was in Oakland, like, this is it. We're never getting the NFL again. So how do the Oakland folks handle this? Do you just try to just skewer and just kill the A's at the register? Or do you have to kind of play nice and be cooperative because you want a team in the future? And I wonder if that's part of the negotiations. Like, yeah, well, hey, in Major League Baseball, this is not just us. You get involved here in these negotiations. You want the A's here, we'll work out a deal. But what you're going to put in writing is that we are a candidate for an expansion team in the future. The right kind of hardball if you're Sheng Thao, the mayor of Oakland. And if you've listened to the statements that Sheng Thao has made over time, she has seemed a lot more diplomatic than what Libby Schaff was doing before her. She seems to have more of a feel for the long game here with the A's because she's left the door open multiple times to the A's even permanently coming back if the Vegas Stadium deal falls through. And so if the consolation prize is that Major League Baseball would expand back into Oakland, then yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. So if that all came to fruition and we get the A's and there's a new expansion team in Oakland by 2030 and say the A's for the first couple of years are just a 50-win team and they're not showing very many signs of trying to compete, I mean, how will most Las Vegans feel? It's pretty obvious, right? Why didn't Major League Baseball just make the A's stay there and give us an expansion team? They got desperate, man. They got desperate. And I, everything I like about got, this process reeks of desperation. I feel like we got desperate. Uh, everybody did. Yep. It, both sides did, without question. And that's why we're still potentially in court on this for God only knows how long. Number three. I actually have not had a chance to watch all the commercials, which is embarrassing. I'm in this business. This is a, we like to talk about the commercials. I did see the Duncan commercial. Damon, describe the jumpsuits in the Duncan commercial, and they're actually on sale. They were on sale, Steve. This was Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Tom Brady, Massachusetts finest, in a commercial with Ben Affleck trying to show his wife, Jennifer Lopez, that he can also bring a little something to the table musically. But the jumpsuits were the Duncan colors. You got your orange and your pink. And it was a $60 tracksuit that is now sold out. I wish I would have known about it because that is something I would have spent $60 on. I didn't even know about it, and now they're sold out. I'm upset. I wish I would have known. I want to be like Ben Affleck, Tom Brady, and Matt Damon. And they also had these ruby-colored glasses. 
throw, in an, throw those in for an extra 20 bucks, and I would have spent $80 on the set. Really? Candy, do you like the color of the uh, the Dunkin' jumpsuits? Does that match I eyes? love me. I love me a Dunkin' Donut. Don't get me wrong here. I I will crush a box of munchkins like Dan <laughs> and I talked about earlier. I will crush a box of munchkins like nobody's business. However, I feel like if you wear that tracksuit, your next stop has to be the cheap seats at Fenway, crushing $12 beers, and screaming at Yankees fans on a day that they're playing the Orioles. Like, like you, you have to go straight mass hole if you wear that suit. And Wait, that's what? fine. If you want Wait, to identify what? yourself was... in the state flag of yeah. Massachusetts in pink and orange, that's fine. But say that, say just, that slowly. Mass. One, two, three. Hole. Hell. Yeah. Yes. Especially because I stepped on you as you said it, so it sound, sounded pretty. Well, scary. it, it could have got it could have gotten even dicier. You, you you never you never quite know. I learned so. Oh, I learned something by the way. When I was last time I was in uh last time I was in Massachusetts in Boston actually saw saw our buddy Sammy P uh when when I was up there. Last time I was in Boston, I learned something from the Massachusetts people. They want us to know they call it dunks. We call it Dunkin'. Down to dunks. They call it dunks. It's like when the rest of the country went to Dunkin', they had to go to dunks, so they had their own special little thing. I feel like that's the verbal version of buying this tracksuit. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not involved in any of this. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I, it reminds me of uh, just hard times, man. Hard times, like Dusty Rhodes says. Number two. Number two. You know, Tom Brady, uh, maybe he's in this conversation. I was going to say used to be um, after the Super Bowl, who are the two most marketable athletes in the United States? Is it Mahomes, Kelsey? Is it still LeBron? Uh, Once Brady is back in front of the cameras and getting his $375 million deal from Fox, is he the guy or am I missing someone who's just very obvious? I think right now there's no way anyone's hotter than Mahomes and Auto. Like those two guys are out front for sure. And and LeBron's oh, right there. Don't get me wrong. LeBron's right there. But has everyone has everyone forgotten about all those uh all those deflated balls already? Is there, is everybody let the spygate stuff go? Like let's let's not immediately move Tom Brady back to the top of that list. I, I think uh think uh, Travis and Patrick, our most valuable bundler, they're right there at the top. Wow, weird that we're not uh, trying to force in a baseball player. Hmm. hmm. Good old hmm. Bobby. Your, your guy, Bobby. Bobby Baseball, you just when you want him to give it to you, he's not going to do it. He's going to make you wait just like you're the A's. Oh, boy. Devon, didn't you miss that? The Bobby Baseball talk? Love <laughs> Did you say his name again? Don't you say his name. He'll tell you when you can say his name. The weird grunting. All right, top story. Number one. Uh, we have to absolutely take some extra time to talk about this one because I'm still not sure what the hell is going on. I don't think the Niners, brass, and coaching staff knows what's going on. Players don't know what's happening. NFL onlookers don't know what is happening. Candy, this overtime rule... In the playoffs, it is new. Sadly for the NFL, it was not tested before in a less significant game. All the playoff games are significant, but they're not the Super Bowl. What a freaking mess. And I know you want to break down the analytics of it, but I'll, I'll say this. I've, I'm treading very lightly on this one 
as we learn more and more about it, we should, should have all known everything about it, but a lot of us did not. Uh, Damon, you saw Tiki Barber talking about it, and you thought he was just way off? Yeah, back in my day to its finest. The new NFL overtime rule in the playoffs is nonsense. Oh, it's absolute nonsense. Really? Okay. To make the clock mean nothing is nonsense. So you think the clock should have ended the game? The clock has to end the game. I understand why they do it this way because you want to be fair. But it takes all urgency out of football. Some of the greatest moments in the NFL. It's end of half Hail Marys mm-hmm. or end of half urgency to get a f- get in the field goal position. We've got to move the ball. Okay. Thoughts on the clock issue, Candy? <sighs> yeah, you know, I was already guy, in a rock and a hard. I don't want to hear size over this. Go ahead. I know, I know. Don't, that's don't the problem. Him. And there's a part two. That's, that's the problem. I already had to do the whole Knicks versus the refs thing earlier on this one. I don't know, man. Uh, I'm going to have trouble talking about Tiki. Wow, he's just bailing out. He's bailing out. Don't get too emotional. I, uh, yeah, I, you, he's yeah. crazy. He's crazy yeah. to say that. He's yeah. absolutely nuts to say that. But this is, you know what? This is what I have to say about the overtime rules, just in general. You people wanted this, and you got it. You all complained about what happened with the Chiefs and the Bills a couple of years ago with what were perfectly fine overtime rules, the same ones we use in the regular season. It's not fair. The Bills didn't get the ball. Fine. You got what you wanted. Now the other team gets the ball. Oh, did you forget to say that they only get to have it for a certain amount of time? Yeah, you did. Because you were too busy crying about the fact that a perfectly good overtime rule didn't give you everything that's fair. I came here to play against the best, honor my dad's legacy here, and I have a lot of special moments with my dad. We got a fight to catch. I won several states. This is not a Big Ten protocol. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, no. Oh, no, Candy. Another case of the people who talk about the good old days often and discipline, self-control. They lose control again. That was the uh, Iowa women's coach griping in the background during a Nebraska portion of the postgame. We'll build on that in a couple of minutes because we want to talk about Coaches getting fired up, sometimes maybe getting too fired up. That's coming up in a couple minutes. But Adam Candy's here. It's Cofield. Uh, Adam and Damon are in Vegas. Cofield on the ground here covering uh, running Rebels on the road in Fresno. Uh, we got to do more on what happened with this overtime thing. People are still trying to hash it out. Uh, Damon had found a Tiki Barber, what, like about a two-and-a-half-minute piece of audio video up on the socials, and... Tiki's confused. He's going back to the old days. Uh, give me a little more Tiki on this. All right, you're guaranteed a possession. If your possession takes, you know, 22 minutes, good luck, right? Because guess what? The other team's going to get a possession too. The clock has no purpose. Right. Like, I hate that. Because football, in my mind, is it's competing against the component of the opponent, but it's also competing against, like, these forces that constrain you. Right, and it's the field, it's the it's the officials, and it's the clock. And overtime in the in the NFL playoffs, they have neutered the clock. All right, Candy, any truth to what anything of what he's saying? 
I truly wish that the vast sound department at Cofield and Company had had just a little bit more time to go back in Tiki Barber's voluminous archives to see if he's ever enjoyed a college football overtime because yeah. that uh, that clock's not neutered. It's murdered. It's not even there. There is no clock. <laughs> college overtime seems to work just fine without a clock, and, and it was not spayed, neutered, castrated, none of the above. It, it seems to do just fine without a clock. So like I said a couple minutes ago, I've, uh, I've tried lately on this topic because especially the, the ripping of Little Shanny, because I don't know that everyone has, you know, real analytics on this and what the approach is going to be. And I saw so many people right out of the gates were like, he's an idiot. Why would you ever take the ball first? Well, I mean, there was a rationale explained by the Niners side. Uh, we heard yesterday about what Kansas City was thinking in overtime. But can we have a, a real discussion about the right thing to do with these new Overtime rules without much more depth on the topic and more information on the topic, or we're kind of we're kind of guessing here. I mean, is there a playbook on this thing? And that really the problem, right? We want to talk about what's the right thing to do because analytics, believe it or not, are actually becoming the friend instead of the foe in this discussion, right? We oh. want to talk about what's the smart thing to do with information. Oh no, watch out. Here comes analytics as the savior. Anyway, when we talk about what's going on with this, we just said it's the first time it's ever happened. It's the first time we've ever tested it out because it's kind of a version of college overtime, right? It's it's kind of you take some elements of college overtime and, and you slap it together. And the whole idea behind college overtime has always been, at least going back to 96 when it first came in, you want the ball second, right? You want to know what you're supposed to do. We see college coaches do it over and over again. There was a study done that went up to 2007, from 96 to 2007, 328 college overtimes. Four times, four, count them four, a college coach took the ball first. And that rarity has actually been challenged a little bit more over time here. But if the idea behind analytics is you want to have more information, then I think the basic theory we start out with here is that if you're Kyle Shanahan, don't you want to know whether you go for it on fourth down or not, right? Don't you want the information? Now, you could say that what he's saying isn't crazy, that we want the chance to go end the game, right? But keep in mind, Patrick Holmes made very clear that the Kansas City Chiefs, who were the team in the reporting that we've seen that practiced these scenarios, they were going for two. <laughs> They got the ball second, and they were going for two. It was going to be win or lose with Patrick Mahomes with the ball in his hands. But obviously, the Niners don't don't know that unless they uh, somehow they had a spy inside of uh, the Kansas City facility well before the Super Bowl or at the Raiders facility. Hmm. 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 <laughs> well, I can. Someone I was. Can tell you. Someone was hiding under those squishy fields. Uh. That's the only way that uh, the the the, um, the Niners were going to get spied on. So I don't know if you saw the the video and the pictures I put out there, but uh, they they built. Uh, I guess I was calling it Mount FFC, but it really was Mount Belichick, the legacy of Belichick. They built a freaking two story wall of storage containers so that uh, if someone wanted to plant themselves over at Virgin or I think it's NBC Suites, they couldn't look in over the fence at Fertitta. You know, I I, I hear old Connor from Michigan selling his house he might have been available this week 
Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, we laugh at that, though. Uh, someone would hire him 100% if they get away with it. Yeah. You no, know that. No question about it. Hey, you, the, the point to what you're getting at, Cofield, there's, there's no way to have a really in-depth discussion of this because we just don't have any information. You can try to use the college stuff and bring it across, but that's college players, and when we talk about analytics and what goes into it, you're factoring in how well your team is playing in that game. You're factoring in the strength of your opponent. You're factoring in any number of things that you have tested over the course of time that are informing your decisions that neither Kyle Shanahan nor Andy Reid had access to. So I get it. We want to we want to find someone to blame. It's what we do. But I don't know that there I don't know that if you're going to blame Kyle Shanahan for anything, you're going to blame him for the decision as much as you're going to blame him for did your players not know the overtime rules? <laughs> uh, so did you did you get to watch the uh, the video with the Iowa basketball coach uh, barging into the Nebraska postgame? Yeah, that was uh, that was something to see. She, I, I'm surprised she even had the time to go yell about that. She's got a flight to catch. Yeah. Although, you know what, I don't know the details. on. My first thought was, because I'm a spoiled person who gets to travel with UNLV and they charter both football and men's basketball, is is there any way Iowa women's basketball isn't chartering? Like, do you really have to catch a flight? Or is it going to be okay if you're 10 minutes late? Wait, you don't think they were trying to catch the Southwest... I mean, uh, oh, the Southwest Omaha to Des Moines at 10 p.m. that doesn't exist. Yeah, no. Touche. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. If it was a, it was a uh, night game, then there's no flight to catch where they have to be on time. Okay. I just thought, again, when we see this with coaches every once in a while, we always hear about players needing to stay under control, and coaches at times are some of the most out-of-control people. And I'll tell you what, she's actually lucky. I'll have to look up the players on the Nebraska side who were up there. Uh, one was talking about coming to Nebraska to honor the legacy of her father. What if a, I wonder how people would react. What if a player stood up and said, why don't you shut up? Why don't you shut up? And then actually tried to pull a John Chaney, and Chaney was in the reverse role 30 years ago where Calipari was uh, behind his uh, microphone and mini dais, and Chaney came you know, from the back of the room at him. What if a player was like, what are you doing? This is my time. Get out. Oh, by the way, do you love the fact, Steve, that we're talking about this with regard to a women's basketball game? Like, media protocols with a women's basketball game? Like, that's how big the Caitlin Clark thing has become, that we actually have to talk about protocols for who gets to talk to whom? Like, usually it's, is there a reporter here who wants to talk to anybody after a Division I women's basketball game? Not, what is the protocol for who goes first. Like, we really are in different times. No doubt. And, uh, and that's probably the bigger part of the story than just a coach losing control and getting all annoyed and not communicating like an adult is the fact that they're, they're having a press conference where there are lots of people there. So that is progress. Um, I made reference to the Calipari-Cheney yep. showdown 30 years ago. Uh, Damon, I don't know if we have the audio for that. I think we had a mix-up today. Um, oh, I don't need to hear it. I could basically recite it. <laughs> Do you remember what happened? So Do I remember? I'll set this up. I'll set this yeah, up. You, no, you set it up. You set it up. Yeah, Calipari's talking to the UMass media, and apparently Calipari had cornered the officials 
uh, in the bowels of the arena right after the game, and that really pissed off Cheney. And I guess Calipari was riding them the entire game. And in this case, Cheney came in the room and he's like, "These guys are good guys. They don't deserve that." And you know, I just got hammered for getting after the officials. Uh, down in West Virginia, by the way, if you want to talk about throwback times, this was kind of my beat back in the day. This was peak Atlantic 10 basketball with Temple in West Virginia and, uh, and UMass, as UMass was rising as a power and giving trouble to everyone. But, yeah, Cheney came in, and he's like, how dare you, you know, after you guys go out and basically roughhouse and try to beat the hell out of us, how dare you get on the officials? And Calipari really didn't even get a chance to say anything. He said, like, one thing, and then Cheney just started charging at him. Probably, I don't know what Cheney was at the time, 65 years old. And first he said, I will kill you. I'm like, okay, I'll I forgot kill about that you. part. I'll yeah, kill I you. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Because then the thing that everyone remembers, I think, is him saying, I'll kick your ass. I'll kick your ass multiple times. And, oh, by the way, if, if we were to get uh, any of our friends behind the counter at the Vegas Sportsbooks to set odds on that, you know John Cheney is a favorite. I don't. I don't care how much younger Calipari was. You, yeah. I, I'm. I'm taking tactics over youth on that one. Yeah, Cheney. First of all, was a lot bigger guy than people realize. He was a good sized dude, and uh, that was not not the Calipari's big now. That was kind of like little John Calipari at the time. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Seven six six fourteen hundred is the number. Call Justin or Matt or the rest of the crew at Battleborn. They have offices in Reno and. Henderson in downtown Vegas and Las Vegas. You want to dial in the north, 766-1400. You got to dial 775-766-1400. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So we got Sammy P coming up in just a couple minutes here on Cofield and Company. Uh, Candy, how much have you been following? I know you're a busy guy, but following uh, both UNLV and maybe uh, more importantly, the Mountain West race in men's basketball? Keeping up as best I can with all the other college basketball uh, world that I'm involved in. But I got to tell you, uh, hard not to notice what uh, what the Rebs did at New Mexico. Yeah, um, that was impressive. And it leads to uh, Rebels play an important game tomorrow against Fresno, where generally it's been a living hell here in Fresno. Nothing against the city. I love the city. Uh, lots of stuff to do. I will have the time of my life tonight. Uh, no mocking on Fresno. I do not allow that on the show. Um, but it's been a tough place. But tonight you have some key games. And because this conference is so crunched at the top between basically teams that are 8-3 and three, all the way down to 6-4, and four, these, the games down the stretch here, these last nine or eight games for most teams, I mean, every night is just going to be a freaking war, a bloodbath, and so important. And so New Mexico does what New Mexico does, but against UNLV, which is just constant brain farting, uh, weird shots. They actually got kind of pushed around by a Rebel team that is now playing more physical than it has the entire season, maybe outside of the St. Mary's game back in December. And... New Mexico's got to bounce back at Candy tonight after losing that game and go into Reno and take on Nevada, where Steve Alford has been nearly impossible the last couple of years to win, except for against Kevin Kruger. He's gotten the job done up there, but this is a rough spot, man. I mean, it's max motivation for both teams, but this is a really tough spot for New Mexico. It's kind of amazing that we're talking at this point of the year on February 13th about 
six Mountain West teams having 16 wins or more. Like you're you're well along the path. Even with teams playing each other down the stretch, you're well along the path to six 20-win teams by the time this is all said and done. We factor in the tournament and everything. So it's it's a great year for the conference overall. The question's going to be come March, is it going to be so much cannibalism that you end up with really good teams that steal from each other when it comes to trying to get into the tournament. I think that's going to be the case. We're going to continue this conversation after five. Sammy P is up next on uh, Super Bowl betting. Let's do a quick giveaway here. We got two tickets to check out Ray Romano. Okay, he's going to be live in Vegas April 12th and 13th. Summit Showroom at the Venetian. Tickets are on sale right now at Ticketmaster.com. But Ray Romano is in town in April. DeMond's got your tickets right now. Call her 736-4100. Coolfield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, here we go. We know the overall handle for the state of Nevada. We know what the win was. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes, and I'm talking about Super Bowl, but Sam Paniotovich is in with Adam Candy and Cofield. Sam, what's going on, buddy? Welcome to college basketball season, boys. I've been here already, so but you're right. This is when this this is when the spotlight turns to college basketball. Uh, are you ready? Oh, I've been ready. Yeah, I've been firing. I'm about 17 and 13 right now with college basketball. I don't I don't dive in as much as I used to, Steve. When I was living it in Vegas and and doing Veasan and stuff, I was a lot more locked in to college. But since I got to Nesson and Fox, it's Football, football, football from basically July through the Super Bowl. And that's what they want. That's what clicks. It's what traffics. Even after the national championship, I'm writing about Nick Saban and Arch Manning because that's what people want to talk about. This is the full switch, though, because now we're into basketball. And on February 13th, a lot of my group threads and a lot of my gambling buddies are texting me not only yesterday but today so who's good in college basketball? And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. We just move right on to the next. How do you answer that? I think Purdue's the best team in the country. And they give me Virginia vibes. Not the year they lost uh, to UMBC, but the next year when they came back and won the whole enchilada, beat Texas Tech in the 2019 Final Four. That team looked like they gave a damn all offseason. They are so good offensively. We, You and I have talked about Purdue in the last month or so, but defensively yep. they've really started to buy in. I mean, they held Indiana to 59 on Saturday, held Wisconsin at Wisconsin sub-70, held Michigan to 67, held, let's see, Iowa, a very good Iowa offense, held Iowa to 70, which sounds like a lot of points, but Iowa likes to play in the 80s and – Sometimes the 90s. This team is locking in defensively. And look, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Purdue chokes every year. What Purdue did in 2015 has nothing to do with what Purdue is going to do in 2024. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we've hit on this a bunch of times. But just to kind of go back to last year and what failed them last year, people have to understand their guards were freshmen. And, they, you know, they had a game where they had a really weird matchup and got to make threes. And this year they've been – 
making threes uh, at a very high rate. Um, you know, Mason Gillis is a, a, a stretch. Uh, he's really a small forward, but uh, I think he's closer to 6'8". Uh, he can make the three. Fletcher Lawyer is now older. Braden Smith is now older. I will, I'll will give you a little nugget uh, for the tournament. Maybe you already know this. My one worry with Purdue going into the tournament is right now they've played, you know, most of the season with Big Ten officials. Yep. And this is a number I follow because I'm fascinated by the fact that at seven foot four, 315 pounds, Zach Eady averages per game, Sam, 1.8 fouls per game. In the Big Ten, they don't call fouls on him. Well, the NCAA tournament, are they going to give him the same benefit or are the games going to be officiated differently? And you know with bigs, man, if the officials are a little too feisty early on, they can take bigs out of the game very early in the first half and do it very early in the second. So I wonder what happens when he gets out of the Big Ten and if he's officiated to the same level at just 1.8 fouls per game. Very fair counter by you. They better be physically and mentally tough in the tournament because, no, they are not going to be as friendly to a Big Ten superstar outside of Big Ten on Big Ten action. And the elephant in the room is that the Big Ten hasn't won a national championship since 2000. That was the Izzos. I think that was the Flintstones team with Mateen Cleaves and Mo Pete and Charlie um, Bell. Charlie Bell. I believe Jason Richardson was a reserve on that team. That was a really solid team. Now, we did see you know Michigan State go to a couple national title games. We saw Michigan in a title game, Wisconsin in a title game after they beat undefeated Kentucky. Um Big Ten needs to do something in the tournament here. Uh, they got some good squads, but I didn't mean to hijack our football conversation uh, into college basketball. My bad. Well, you know, I would I would do college basketball all the time, but I agree with you. It has its place, and the NFL, even a couple of days after the Super Bowl, is still the thing. Uh, Von Tobel was predicting that uh, the number in the state of Nevada actually would be a little bit underwhelming, that it wouldn't crush the previous high. So it beat it by $5.8 million, and... I know Candy's on these on this thought that uh, maybe our archaic ways here in terms of accessibility to get your sportsbook account and not the same level of aggression with what is offered may have hurt. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? The handle was one hundred eighty-five million dollars. Do you believe that Nevada got the, the handle got reduced a little bit because we're very stubborn out here? I don't know that that's why. Uh, this is a complex conversation, and I don't. I'm, Curious to know, Candy, how you think about my response. A lot of the average Americans got priced out of this Super Bowl. You know, this was not the average Joe going to a game. You know, like most people that go to Vegas for a Super Bowl are going there to gamble, drink, or both. And this was more of a corporate Super Bowl. I know the the viewership was up. There were like 300,000 people in Nevada. But this was more than just a football game. This was a freaking entertainment spectacle. And not everybody that, A, goes to the Super Bowl or, B, you know, flies into that Super Bowl city is gambling on the game. I mean, you if you sit down four people at a Super Bowl party, you could get two that care about the game, one that cares about the halftime show, and another that cares about the commercials. So I don't know. And you also have to combine and weave in the fact that, you can bet in 38 states now. A lot of people don't feel the need to fly into Vegas 
to watch and gamble on the Super Bowl when I can do it from my own couch. You still broke the record, which is phenomenal. Um, I think Vegas did an A or an A-plus job in hosting the Super Bowl, which will not be the first, or will be the first, but not be the last, obviously. But I think I think the lack of the average Joe going to the game and going to Nevada kind of hurt the handle, if that makes any sense. Well, let's dig in on that a little bit, because uh, my question to you is, you're as plugged in with the guys behind the counter in Vegas as anyone, and I'm curious what they were seeing because we could read all the national numbers that come in from the sports books that say 75 percent of the tickets are on the chiefs all the public is on the chiefs but what i'm really curious about is there was a lot of question as to whether the large bets would come in in vegas the way that they have in the past were the same whales going to show up in vegas when they had the hassle of dealing with all of the corporate as you mentioned that was here for the Super Bowl, what have you heard from your guys about how the action compared to past years? Well, the big guys still come in, and they can obviously wire money in. And, you know, guys like Billy Walters, who did bet the game in Nevada, is always going to bet in Nevada, at least I think, because they know him, they give him good limits, and his bet helps shape their line. I think you get anybody from Circa, Superbook, Golden Nugget, you know, Chucky E over at Stations, a big bet helps them get to the right number. Where a lot of these books out here in Massachusetts, they're not taking big bets because they don't they don't have the ability to book as good as the guys in Vegas book. They they just they do it so much better. Circa is so willing to take a six-figure bet. They're so willing to do it because they they take everybody but it also like it helps get to the right number. And that's what will never change about Vegas. Are all of us Americans now going to Vegas to bet on the Super Bowl? No, because we don't have to. But the biggest fish in the pond are going to do it because there's familiarity. There are handshake deals. Guys get good numbers. And, you know, a guy like Billy Walters can walk into a sports book and bet $500,000. You can't do that at fanatics or mgm for the most part maybe well mgm's different because they take bets in vegas but like bet mgm and win bet and fanatics are not taking five hundred thousand dollars on a super bowl they just they don't know how to do it i think that's the problem they don't know how to do it it's just it's too overwhelming sam we had talked about the uh the props that you were interested in and we were talking to sam paniotovich from nesson and from fox sports you did okay, right? I mean, uh, obviously, Ushak right out of the gates. That was that, that was good. I had the most money on that. I had Ushak over two and a half and three and a half yards. Well, yeah, I sent you my my chicken dinner picks, which I blast to everybody. And yeah, it was a three and two record. One of the losses was a third of a unit because I had the sixty plus yard field goal, which looking back was not the worst handicap in the world no not at all they hit a 55 and a 57 no i i I bet a little bit on 55 plus but i i really wanted that 60 yarder the elevation nobody really thought about i mean some people talked about it but that was the highest elevated super bowl of all time i mean 2000 plus feet in the air and that one punt the townsend hit was 62 yards in the air (laughs) and that adds on the 10 yards that he actually kicked the ball from. I mean, he kicked that thing 70 yards in the air, but back to the Ushek thing. I I had a lot of money, a lot of money on him to catch a pass and over two and a half, three and a half yards. And on the second play of the game, 
He catches one for 18. I went bananas in my house. I mean, we just started ripping shots. <laughs> that, that was the biggest position I've had in maybe six months gambling, oh, wow. was on a fullback over in the Super Bowl. And if it didn't hit, I would have hated myself. But clearly, they don't know how to price a fullback in the Super Bowl. They, they clearly didn't opening it two and a half and, and settling three and a half, four and a half. Uh, real quick on some prop bets. Travis Kelsey prop bets. I felt like every one of them hit unless there was something involving first half yards. And there actually was, right? There was a Caitlin Clark points against the yards by Kelsey in the first. Yeah, I talked about that uh, on Fox this week. Kelsey had one yard at half <laughs> and Caitlin Clark had 30 plus. Plus she was getting three and a half. So she she cooked them in the first half. But the problem is, is that that poor linebacker on San Francisco, Dre Greenlaw goes out with the Achilles that was the guy that stuck him in the first half. Yeah, and I'm aware, Sammy. Adjustments. Kelsey blew over. Yeah, it sucked, man. It sucked. I, mean, I, I you know. No, I got another one to talk to you about. Stuff, and it's like, all right. What is it? Well, for those of us who might have had a reasonable stock in Christian McCaffrey, most receptions at seven to one. Uh, the, uh, the the Dre Greenlaw thing hurt very deeply, very deeply. <laughs> Very deep. I had uh, I had some McCaffrey eight to one MVP in the game from two weeks ago. Oof. If if they win that game, there's a world where Christian McCaffrey's the MVP of the game. He had what two touchdowns? He had 130 plus yards. It's just maddening, man. I think I know you guys have talked about the Super Bowl. The fact that on second and five, two minutes to go, two minutes to change, he took the ball out of McCaffrey's hand. On second and third down with five yards to go, kick the field goal, and then obviously Kansas City comes back down and ties it. Doing the play-action bootleg on second and five was the dumbest thing you could have possibly done. They couldn't even stop McCaffrey. They couldn't stop him. And they want to they bootleg the quarterback and then throw to the four-string receiver on third down. And that's why they lost the game. You get a first down there, Candy? You get five yards on three plays because you could run it on second, third, and fourth. Get the first down, win the game. They blew it. Yep. Without question, bud. At SP Shoot up on Twitter. You can also find him at Ness and Betts. Sam, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. All right, boys. Sammy P. Spot on Tuesdays brought to you by Circle Las Vegas. A big weekend as they're going to have another one of their UFC viewing parties out at Stadium Swim, Alexander Volkanovsky is on the car defending his 145 title. Also, a top 135 bout with Henry Cejudo involved. And former 185 champ Robert Whitaker is back. And there's no better place to watch than at Stadium Swim. Reserve your spot now for the UFC 298 viewing party at Circle Las Vegas. Go online, circlelasvegas.com.